With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How are you feeling, guys? I spilled coffee all over myself, so I had to change my shirt. Apologies if it, everything looks a little bit scruffy. <clears throat> I've had two, two exploded. Nothing makes me more angry in the world than uh, coffee cup mishaps. And I exploded a cup of coffee on myself in the car this week, and I spilled coffee all over my ass. And then when I was trying to watch the game coming back, someone jogged past me, and I spilled coffee all over a freshly dry, clean shirt. So I'm in a coffee rage at the moment. Nothing makes me more angry than uh, not augmenting the squad in January. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to try. But yeah, and, co- coffees are annoying as well. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to try and focus on the positives. But I was, I was, I actually started watching the Spurs game rather than the Arsenal game. I thought actually that yeah. was probably <laughs> if we held out any hopes. And I stopped um, as soon as Spurs scored the first goal and switched over and watched the rest of the Arsenal game. Uh, but it was deeply depressing seeing Bentakur put through, squaring it to Kudashevsky, knocking it in and thinking, my God, that team spent 70 million uh, in January to just, on it? to just get ahead of us. Yeah, but anyway, you know, you guys don't think it was the difference between Harry Kane not scoring at the start of the season and then getting over his depression and scoring at the end of the season. We'll talk about it. Like Matt said, I, I was watching. I mean, if anyone's logging in in today for the expert analysis for myself and others included in terms of watching the Arsenal game, probably won't go. I was watching about four different screens today at different yeah. times. I saw our goals. I think we won 5 1. Uh, <laughs> but in general, yeah, um, now it's all over. It does feel like. <laughs> you get to have a, a look, a complete look, an objective look at what, what happened. And I'll be honest with you, it's not all... It, it, some of it is pretty grim reading as far from my position. Uh, grim There's reading? One, We're one point. Let's make sure we put this in perspective. One, 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 one point. Youngest team one in other, the one, one other thing I, I will add as well is... Um, it's just let's talk, We should just talk about Liverpool very briefly. And There's so much to say about today. It's the final game of the season, but... 
imagine having put in a performance where they didn't lose a single game at home this season. They've been absolutely brilliant. Uh, in my in my eyes, I, I I I wanted Liverpool to win it rather than City. I oh, really did. I didn't. I was very happy. I, you're not having teams winning the quadruple. Listen, in terms of how Arsenal sit in the you know the 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 annals of English football, we will always have through being the third most successful club in England as we speak. We will always have our invincible season, and I will take that invincible season, and I will go head to head with a United fan who talks about the treble. If you win a quadruple, you can't talk about an invincible season. It's irrelevant. You've won everything. That's never happened. Not in in the modern era. So I'm yeah. not having any team. The thing, the thing, up. the thing for me is that Liverpool are a model of a club that uh, we 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 can emulate, and and that's the thing that gives me hope. Even though when City win, you don't really feel anything. You're just like, oh yeah, yeah. they they've won. But deep down, I feel that it's bad for football when you have clubs like City, like Chelsea originally, latterly City, PSG, Newcastle will be it, where it's not a meritocracy. Yeah, you've got to spend the money well, but it's an unlevel playing field and the system doesn't support it. Whereas my personal belief is when Liverpool win, they've earned it all by being amazingly run, by spending money incredibly well, by hiring the right people, by trying to do it in a, in a in a sustainable way, so for me, they just deserve so much more credit than than City do. Or... And that that is great, and I appreciate your point. But let the, I'm sure they're not going to be too disappointed with their potentially three big trophies this year. You know, they've won two cups. They're not the little paupers going. Give us a chance, Gov. I've been no. doing it the right way. Like you know, they've feeling, been winning cups. But feeling I don't sorry for everything. Liverpool as well. That's kind of. Like where no are we, way. lads? Where are we? I'm not. If we that. if we can't win it, then spread the wealth amongst amongst the other peasants because I don't want anyone getting too gassed, too high off their own supply while we are not able to, you know, provide a challenge against. I'm just, I'm just a football purist. That's my problem, John. <laughs> You're a romantic, aren't you? You've literally for the people listening, Matt's got a rose in between his teeth right now, and he's just turned. <sighs> He's a romantic and he wants, you know, he wants the good guys to win. But I just say spread it out and limit our limit our stripes against us. Quite the, the good news about when City win is you literally do not care. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, all right, they will City one. All right. Uh, Doesn't bother me. Whatever. Uh, you know. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, enough gassing, you two. Enough gassing. Uh, let's let's start the podcast. Mirror man, mirror man. You twist and turn my mind. Good morning and welcome to a new edition of the Arsenal Opinion Podcast. It is the end of the season. The finale is over. Arsenal absolutely trounced Everton 5-1. Johnny Cochran didn't watch it. Matt Candela didn't watch it. I didn't watch it. Why are we even here? We're here because there are enough hot takes to go around the room. Um, Let's firstly start with um, the hottest take about... Arsenal, and then maybe if you want to roll in a little hottest take about the Premier League season in general, I'm going to let you do that today. Uh, Matt Candela, we haven't started with you in a long time. Matt Candela, give us the hottest take. Uh, hottest take, glorious sunny day uh, at the Emirates. I did watch most of it. I was just flicking between screens like everyone else today. Um, we put on a hell of a performance. Uh, so many, 
so many positives to take into next season. Probably the biggest one from today was Martin Erdegaard, who was absolute silk all game, oh. always on the half turn. That capped it off with a brilliant goal. And the future's bright. And look, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't get fourth. Uh, we came fifth. Uh, you can see what we're doing. One of the biggest pluses from today was 10 minutes to go. The whole stadium standing up, singing. Uh, you know, never seen an atmosphere like that when ultimately we failed to hit our objectives 10 minutes from the end of the season. It shows that the people in the ground see the progress, know what's happening, are 100% behind the manager. And all those people on the internet who are pretending that uh, the standards merchants and, and the people who think that we're not on the right path can go screw themselves, frankly. It was great. We're united. I love it. Um, but So that's my hottest take. We're united. We're moving forward. Um, things are positive. That doesn't mean we have not made some horrendous errors and this season could have been way better and we can talk about that. But but overall, it's time to let everyone go off, let Smith, Rowe and Saka head out to Ibiza or wherever they want to go and um, and, and get a, a well-earned break. Johnny Cochran, uh, you started the show and you said that you were a little bit downbeat. You're under your desk. You've got a supply of beer there. So I'm assuming... Uh, Assuming you're trying to numb out the pain, uh, but like let let it all flow out. This is a this is this is a man therapy session, and we're all here for each other. What's your hottest of takes? Yeah, I mean, it's rare that me and Matt we we agree on a lot of things, but I am not on the same page at all. I am I am downbeat, and maybe this is PTSD and the reality of what actually happened. You know, with the implosion, which is what it was over the last few weeks, has started to actually you know, sink into me because part of it is I didn't really want to, I didn't want to let loose on the team or the squad or whatever, because until it was over, I felt I, I was actually, you know, bathing in the unity that we were all behind the team. We were hoping something kind of remarkable, but I wanted us to get over the line. But the reality is, is we haven't done it. And this is especially painful because of who we've lost against. And it's even doubly painful, the fact that, the predicted downfall was something that not only I predicted, but a number of Arsenal fans predicted. And that was that we did not invest in the squad when it was needed, when it was necessary. We didn't, yeah, you know, we've talked about this, Pete, and you'll point more strongly towards squad management. And I do agree with that as well. That, that certainly played a part of it. Not only letting certain players go on loan, who could clearly have been a massive part of, you know, we didn't see when, you look at the end of the season and you look at the narrow point points differential between us and our overall goal. You could call them stretch, stretch goals or whatever. The fact is where we were throughout the season, the way the system, the season was set up for us with, you know, only uh, without playing in Europe and getting knocked out of the FA Cup in the third round against a lower league team. We had every opportunity to focus solely on the league and we blew it. And the fact is, is that, we had an opportunity to act like a big club, as far as I'm concerned, and secure our target that we wanted to achieve. Whether I To be honest, it doesn't matter whether people called them stretch goals or whatever, if we got it done. Right now, I'm saying that I'm extremely disappointed with the way that things have ended up. And I'm worried for the future in terms of 
as much as I agree with some, you know, what Matt said in terms of things looking rosy in one respect, our best players are young. Um, we seem to get over that hurdle of beating big teams. We won a, a lot of big games towards the end. But ultimately, when it come down to crunch time, we bottled it. And some of the performances towards the end of the season were absolutely shameful. And they'll live long in the memory. Let's not get away from it. And I can't get away from the fact that there, it seems like it was self-inflicted somewhat. You know, certainly we were, we were um, you know, accomplices to our own defeat. And that is through not buffering the squad, poor player uh, squad management. I think Arteta is as to blame as anyone for why we didn't get over the line. Um, but it's not just him. He is often the, you know, the front, the totem, the lightning rod for the fans' ire at times. But because he is the, you know, essentially by being the manager, he is the head of footballing activities at the club. And so he does rightfully take a lot of the flack, but obviously there are structural issues. People who make even bigger decisions than Arteta who absolutely have stuff to blame. And I think we have been getting too high off our own supply, if I'm honest. Um, And I think that there are plenty of positives to take from the season. But when people come out of it like, yeah, you know, we're done with it. No, no, I don't. I don't. I sit there and I don't say that this has been you know, some rousing success. It hasn't been. We've done decent, but there is plenty to improve on. And after the last season that we had, which was appalling, I would hope for, I would have hoped for better. We've not got over the line with that at the end of the day, but there's nothing to say that we can't go on to, you know, do really great things next season. But if we don't, I think the, I think the atmosphere could change rapidly. And you know, I, I understand why. That's all I would say. All right. Well, this is going to be a joy sandwich. The layer in the middle was not very tasty. I'm I'm going to say that up front. I think that you've taken a very negative view of the season. Yeah, I I don't like the word. Uh, I don't like the word bottled. I think that people used it after Manchester City went out of the Champions League. Margins at the highest level are unbelievably fine. The difference between Spurs and Arsenal wasn't bottling it and not bottling it, I think you need to go a layer deeper. Like, look at the positives. No team this young has made it has, has made this many points in the Premier League. Last season, that would have had us finishing third. The season before, that would have had us finishing third. 69 points um, is, 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 a, is a decent haul. Could it have been better? Absolutely. Uh, we won more games than the European champions this season. Let's put that in perspective. Um I think the the issue this this season, and it was approved again today, Mikel Arteta's squad management was not up to standard. We can talk about recruiting in January, but uh, Arteta is the most aggressive manager we've ever had uh, when it comes to transfers and getting his way um, with money. He came out this week and he said January was absolutely not the problem. Um, we want to sign a very specific type of player, and we're going to do that this summer. And I think that we, you know, we have to see a marked improvement in our attack this summer. I don't think signing um, uh, maybe players, uh, you know, it, it might have worked for Spurs, didn't work for Burnley, didn't really work uh, for Everton, who went from 16th to 16th. Um, I think the the big issue was Eddie Nketiah was our best striker uh, in preseason, and we didn't 
find out about that until April. He ends the season our top goal scorer. So, yeah, there are lots of things um, to improve. It's a young squad. The, the reason that Manchester City and Liverpool, who've got average squad ages of nearly 28, uh, are winning tournaments is because it's experience. We didn't have the experience and every single player that we've got left in the squad that is there next season will have grown because of this experience. And we are going to add a striker. And like another hot take. We finished one point off top four and we were the lowest scoring team in the top seven. That's an obvious an, an obvious move forward. Um, our two, you know, when we lost our two fullbacks, our form dropped off. How many teams can manage um, uh, half a season, basically, with two fullbacks that cost £12 million? And then, you know, the, the other big issue, you know, Thomas Partey. We can't handle not having Thomas Partey in the midfield. We look like a, a Champions League team with Thomas Partey in when he left uh, to go to Ghana and we didn't rest him when he came back. That was on Arteta. I think it, this is a squad management issue. I think we're going to add some quality this summer. I think we're going to deal with the fullbacks. I think that... Johnny, you're absolutely right. Part of squad management is also who we let go out on loan. Cedric Suarez is not as good as Ainsley as right back. And Arteta should have worked harder to motivate Ainsley to be the best backup right back in the Premier League. Because in this Arsenal team, you know you're going to get 20, 25 games. So um, we we blew the season in the end. I think it was down to experience. I don't believe... um, I don't believe it, that this is a character issue. I think this is an experience issue. And 69 points. No team in the Premier League this young has racked up that many points in the most competitive Premier League that has ever existed. So I'm going to take the positives. And the most important people are the people in that stadium. And they are united around this side. And that's the, you know, that's the most important achievement of this season. Like, I've never felt better about being uh, an Arsenal fan. I've never felt the direction is clearer. And I've never felt the souls for what we don't have, have ever been clearer. So now the job is on Arteta. You've got to go and push forward because top four is a must next season. We need to go from 69 points to 75 and then we will be a top four side. So now the recruitment team's got to go out and do their job and do the business early. Uh, right, okay. So let's uh, let's let's move into um, let's move into this one. We're going to... Eddie Kruger, our top boy, Matt... Matt Candela, man like Matt Candela, you said um, in January uh, the job of, uh, like, we needed one of our strikers to score uh, five goals. It wasn't Lacazette. He went on a a, a real bad run. Eddie's come into yeah, the team. I think I said we needed 10, but but it, <laughs> it probably got downgraded to five <laughs> by about March when everyone was on zero. Listen, but, uh... listen I'm, I'm going to fake news this. I'm going to pretend that you said five. I'll get somebody to go through the archives later. Uh, regardless, <laughs> Eddie, Eddie Nketiah finishes the season after eight starts, our top Premier League goal scorer for a striker. Um, do you think that he's worthy of a new deal and explain how you would sell this to him because there's a contract sitting on the table who knows if he's going to sign well if there's a contract sitting on the table then they're going to need to go back and give him a give him a better one because i don't think he's going to sign the old one after the two months that he's had when he's finally been given a chance uh the biggest thing for me was the podcast and because it gave me an insight into his mindset about what he's been thinking and what was clear was this is a guy who was so desperate to play games so desperate to start a game, so desperate to be given an opportunity that was longer than nine minutes long. And what you have to say is when he has been given that chance, he's delivered. 
And, you know, he's got whatever it is, five league goals in eight or nine starts. And you have to look now and go, if we had been, if he'd started, started games, um, four games earlier, we'd have got top four. I cannot believe that he wouldn't have scored against Palace, Brighton or Southampton in those dreadful games. Got us a point, got us a win in one of them. So the other thing about it is, What's clear now, unfortunately, by not getting Champions League is we're going to have less of a transfer budget. You know, the idea when we were talking in January or February that we were going to be signing two strikers, two strikers, I I don't think that's happening. I think we could be signing a winger and a striker maybe, but it really looks to me like we've got a similar budget to last year. We've got 150 million, which is not... Not nothing. It was the most in the Premier League at the time, but it's also we also know that we need more than 150 million to get us to where we need to get to. But that that re-looking at our transfer budget and looking at it like that, we don't we can't spend 80 million on one striker and 40 on another. We've probably got 60 million to spend on one now. Yeah. So so when you look at it through that lens you have to look at it and go, we have to do everything in our power to convince Eddie to sign on. Because even if it doesn't work out, we can sell him in a year with for a transfer fee. You know, we can. So for me, it's Mikel Arteta going, Eddie, you proved me wrong. I was wrong. I'll come out publicly and say it so that, you know, it's, it's out there. And I'm going to guarantee you 20 starts next year. And it's up to you to make it make to make me give you more than that. But I'm going to guarantee you 20 starts across all competitions. And if you're ready and you're offered 100 grand a week or whatever, it's going to have to be now because that's what it's that's going to be the going rate 90, 80, 90, 100 grand. Um, because he's on a free transfer and he's going to be offered that by someone else because they don't have to pay a fee for him. It's not been well managed by the club, it's not terrible, absolutely, but terrible. it is where we are and it's cheaper than spending 30 million or 20 million on a second choice striker from the Dutch first division, uh, from from a mid second tier French team to come in. And, you know, it's less of a risk than signing someone like Jonathan David. You know, Eddie Kruger, as he has been affectionately termed, will get you goals when he starts games. He will. Is he the top, top, top quality player that we need him to be not yet, but you know, I, I think, I think he's that... one of the top scorers for his age bracket in the Premier League off of eight starts this season. Yeah, he's and top, look, I think I, th- I think he's um I think he's I think he's a good player, and I think you know, if we were to sign my first choice, which is Tammy Abraham, um, I think that you could see us playing four four twos, you could see us not that Mikel Artati probably would but you could see the two playing together in certain ways. So we, we have to sign him. It's, it's the position we're in based on uh, his uptick in form. He's shown us what he can do. He's shown us that he's more than a penalty box poacher. He's actually got an all-round game. And because we can't afford a second, uh, a second, a second player, and because we're giving him away for nothing, basically, at the end of the season. Testimonial amount of money, I think, whatever it's called. Tribunal amount of money. So if we can sign him up, even if we sell him in a year, it's at least we're managing our players better. So, yeah, I've got to keep him. Uh, Johnny, uh, you nicknamed 
uh, Eddie, Eddie Kruger. So you uh, like you're, you're part of his image now. I much prefer Eddie Kruger than the Rash because um, that looked like that was going to be one of the nicknames at a certain point. Uh, Johnny, uh, you've you've seen a, a fair bit of Eddie over the last few weeks. Um, should he be in the mixer next season, or should we cut loose and start again? Yeah, first of all, shout out to Bonesy for the Eddie Kruger nod as well, because he was the one who said it, and I laid the foundation with he's the stuff of nightmares. But um, yeah, and it has caught on. It does fit him, doesn't it? And someone mentioned in a tweet recently that Eddie runs off and does this celebration after scoring where he holds a claw out. And it's like, <laughs> I saw the claw. And I, I didn't really see it at the time. And now I'm like... I noticed that listen today. To the like, he did it is claw. a bit Kruger like, yeah. Like, I mean, what else he are you the... doing, mate? You know yeah. what I mean? Like, what, what, what else is that claw about? Because if he has some, I'm not saying he listens to this, but maybe someone's told him that there are people calling you Eddie Kruger, and he's gone, yeah, I like that. I like that. I, I, I'm doubling John, down, and I'm going to claw it up from now on. Jo- Johnny, I, I, I work around sport now. Let me tell you, if there is a podcast that is evangelizing about who you are as a young player, that young player is 150% tuning in to hear the praise. Yeah, yeah, do, not, yeah. do not think that he is beyond YouTube. He, if, I, I, the PR people will be like, Eddie, look at what the Arsenal fans think about you. If you're listening, Eddie, we love it. The, the greatest <laughs> thing that could be done for this podcast is if, much like when Aubameyang got the Black Panther mask out and put it on, if Eddie brings the claw out with a with you, a knife hand, are you, Eddie Kruger the mask? <laughs> are you saying you want Eddie Kruger to play a game with five knives in his pants? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. We might have to might have to set that up for a, a friendly game where he knows no one's going in on him, you know. But um, yeah, it's probably not the most practical idea, Matt. Well done for seeing through my uh, elaborate plan. Uh, it stumbled, it fell at the first stumble, but um, still, it would be amazing. We can we can dare to dream. Let's get back to the su- uh, to the subject, and that is that I thought Matt laid it out quite well in terms of the fact that because of the way, unfortunately, the season's gone, our hopes certainly. I was one of the ones peddling that dream that we might sign two strikers. It does seem a lot less likely now. We clearly have other areas of the squad that we need to be strengthening in as well. So if we do have that budget, which will not be super stellar anymore, but I, I'm in a, uh, you know, completely singing from the same hymn sheet as Matt in the sense that I think it's got to be 150 million again. Obviously, we've got to, we've got to put that in. And, and partly as a kind of, this is why, you know, to go back to it again, I get a bit upset about the January thing because you end up having to pay the money anyway. You just do it at a later date. But either way, 150 in, that was the most in the Premier League last year. We're going to have to pretty much match that level of investment in the squad. But when you look at it, for the level of quality that Alf... First of all, let me be clear on one thing, because I love the little banner, but Eddie Kruger, our top boy, absolutely not. Eddie, uh, you know, and we've loved the characterization of Eddie Kruger and stuff, but he can't be our leading striker next no, year. Um, no, Eddie Kruger, our top boy, is he is literally our top scoring striker, not that he's going to be the lead striker next year. I think we're, look, we, we offered 65 million for Vlahovic. We know that there's a new striker coming in. The question is, is he worthy of being part of the setup next season? And can he play 15, 20 games and do the job is, is the sure. question. Sure, and I and I think you know. Well, if 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 if, if that is the parameters, then yeah, obviously I'm gonna. I, I'm certainly a lot more um, 
positive about that because Eddie, for what he's done, he could only do what he was going to be given an opportunity to do. And I do think he has performed quite admirably in many respects. And if you're essentially auditioning a guy to be a backup striker, there's nothing that Eddie done towards the end of the year that says that, look, at the end of the day, who who else could a backup striker be? We might sign Ivan Tony, for instance. Is Ivan Tony going to get more goals than Eddie Nketiah over the course of the season? Maybe, but it wouldn't be by much. And maybe Nketiah gets more than Tony. I think that Nketiah, after you know this run of games, has put him into that category of player where you're a solid Premier League striker. You are not, you know, setting the world alight. Anyone who thinks he is, unfortunately, I think you're deluding yourselves. He's not that guy. He's not going to catapult us to trophies. The only way that he could assist us in getting trophies, in my opinion, is you know, stemming the bleeding if our main man goes down and he can come in and score a few goals in key moments where we need him to and provide a threat from the bench. And I absolutely think that we, you know, learn from the mistakes of this year when he was essentially ostracised from the team, not given any opportunity for so much of the season. And yet any hope that we had towards the end seemed to completely hinge on him setting a light and just going bonkers. And he did, he did pretty well. You know, but he showed that he's not quite the level that we're going to need him to be if we were looking for someone to bridge the gap to teams that are at the at the top top end. Yeah, I mean, that he couldn't means... he couldn't have done any more with what he had. Not not nothing more. Let's no, say, but what, what, but look, we... we went into that Spurs game, and at the end of the day, I'm I'm looking for someone to make a name for themselves to make to create a legend. And he didn't do it. And, I, and I'm not uh, going to... No, but guys, hold on. I'm not going to bang on him. I'm not going to bang on Eddie and say it was his... But what I'm saying is, is the game played out the way it played out. If it played out a different way and Eddie and Ketty had banged a hat-trick, he might be having a different conversation and saying, I'm not getting 20 games next year. I'm the leading strike. This is what I'm talking about. It went a certain way. I think he did well. But for us to go over the top would be... You know, it would it would be giving Gunas false promises that listen to this. And I would prefer to see Darwin Nunes come in. I think he would prefer provide more of an antidote to what Eddie offers. So we've got most areas covered. Um, I don't know if he would be, you know, keen on the move to Arsenal with Europa League. But I think we'd obviously have to bundle in quite a lot of money and, you know, really sell him the dream of playing for Arsenal. I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility. And then at that point, if Eddie's coming in when Darwin's not playing or, you know, even being able to play alongside Darwin, I think then we would look at being able to bridge quite a hefty gap, which I think we need to. I don't think we should be looking at our transfer recruitment in the summer going, we need to get one more point. We need to be looking at it going, we're going to need to get multiple more points over the course of a season. So we need someone who's going to be a huge upgrade on what we've had uh, this year. Let's uh, let, let's play the fun game of talking about uh, players that he scored more goals than. Uh, he scored more goals than Steven Bergwijn, uh, more goals than Timo Werner, who cost 15 million. He scored more goals than Marcus Ratchford in the Premier League. Uh, more goals than Kalichi Iheanacho. Uh, more goals than who? Chris Wood. <laughs> Iheanacho. <laughs> I mean, come That's on, that. guys. Uh, Chris uh, no, Wood. I, no, no, let's let's carry on because Chris Wood was a January transfer player that you definitely propped up, Johnny. Oh, um, don't you dare. You did. All don't right. you and, dare. We've it, had a great it, year. Don't end it like this. Listen, I'm getting into sexy territory now. 
Who did Eddie score the same amount of goals as in the Premier League this season? Patson Dacker, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Firmino. Oh, I'm just putting it out there. I'm putting Loads it out there. Guys 22 with an years old. Trajectory in their career, there. You name but, it. Well, for, for, like more goals than Firmino, Johnny. More goals than Eddie Kruger is going to the top, and everyone's like, he's not. He's not it. He's not it. Like, keep on doubting the man. He's going to come into the side next season. He's going to score 30 goals. And then we're all going to be bowing down to the mighty Eddie Kruger. And Eddie's going to pull on a mask. He's going to pull a mask out of his pants and put that red head thing on. And then we'll see. All right. So uh, we're all agreed. Eddie signs a new deal. Arsenal sign additional strikers. Um, let's move on to uh, the next subject. Uh, I wanted to talk about uh, Gabriel Martinelli. Arsenal did an amazing kit launch this week. The highlight of our season every season is the kit launch video. I'm definitely going to buy that shirt. I think it's a beautiful piece of uh, uh, design. Martinelli has been given the number 11 shirt. Uh, he stepped up again today. Uh, you know, he was he was the nod on for the corner. Uh, scored a penalty, took responsibility there. Great penalty. Uh, what are uh, like? What would the the criticisms of Eddie B in the second half? Uh, sorry, of Martinelli B in the second half of the season. And what are we excited about? Can he fulfil his potential? Man like Matt. Look, I think there's been a bit of criticism because people have looked at us giving away all our you know, shirt numbers, our, our 1-11 to 11 shirt numbers to um, the players who are currently in the team. So Saka's got seven, Odegaard's got eight, uh, Smith-Rowe's got uh, 10, Martinelli's got 11. And one of the criticisms has been, I mean, you, you don't really have any idea whether these... Uh, do, you're comparing these guys to the likes of Mark Overmars, uh, you know, Pires... Bergkamp, and you're giving it to this group of youngsters who still have it all to prove. Um, and I do, I do hear that. I do see it. And, you know, I think you, you all know how much, and this is linked to this Martinelli piece. You, you all know how, what a big Smith Rowe fan I'm on. I, I am, but right now I'm worried about Smith Rowe. Um, his second half of the season was very poor and he's on number 10. And you're like, in an elite club, Smith Rowe doesn't have the number ten shirt. Like he just doesn't. He's been so off of the boil since January, and when you're going and we talk about going for top four, and he didn't even come on as a sub today, did he? Um, he Newcastle saw it was like he was he had COVID. Um, so you know, I am worried about like prematurely anointing all these players and basically giving the impression that they're not vying for any with any competition for starting birth, they are the starting players because complacency is not part of the new cultural DNA that Mikel Arteta is supposed to be creating yet giving these players, these numbers so early in their career at a club as big as Arsenal feels like it could lead to complacency. That said, what are you going to do? Like, just leave the 11 open and keep Martinelli on 35. You always have to be continuing to motivate and, you know, inspire players, especially as power to players is becoming more and more important. And you're always needing them to sign new contracts because otherwise you get in. There, Every young, talented player is looking to run their contract down now because it gives them all the control and all the power and they can negotiate better deals. So... But I see both sides, but at the end of the day, um, if if giving someone a shirt number is leading to complacency, um, then 
that's a sign they're not the right player and it doesn't really matter that much. The number is a little bit, it's not that that important today in a, in a, in a squad-based game. So, yeah, I'm glad that, I'm, I, I guess I'm glad that he's got it because I don't really see any other, any other, uh, any other option. But I, what I am happy about is him stepping up and scoring a pen today. It's good to know he can score pens uh, next season. Um, it's it shows a desire for goals because sometimes you worry. You're like, mate, you're in the top front three of an Arsenal team and you don't don't seem to score much. So, but let's also just be realistic. We need him to score ten, a minimum of ten to twelve league goals next season, T- minimum. Uh, and hopefully he'll do it. He's had a good good season. It was one step back last season. He's stepped forward again, and now we need to to keep pushing forward next season. Johnny Cochran, uh, Martinelli racked up 2,300 minutes this season. He made 29 appearances in the Premier League, uh, six goals and seven assists across all competitions. Did he deserve that number 11 shirt or would you have held that back and kept the, kept the powder dry, as it were? Well, the problem comes in um, when the fact that we didn't get over the line with our top four goals or, you know, what I'm calling goals to double down on, um, means that we we don't have the same um, kind of agility in these situations afforded to us because Martinelli sitting there knowing that he's one of our most important players. And, you know, by creating a community, creating an atmosphere of accountability and of expected excellence, you know, granted, not everyone can always reach that mark. That is what you know, makes one player play well and then the next player play well because they understand this competition. Everyone's, everyone's good form spurs the next player on. Now, I I love Martinelli and this is what I want to start with because he is a great player. He looks like he's got such an ama- amazing amount of ability and, and potential. But, and there is a but with him, I'm starting to get a little bit worried that this lack of end product, look, you talk about six goals, you know, in the Premier League, that's not enough. It's not enough. He's played a lot of games, and he's a, he's he's a guy that gets into some great positions because of his, because of his natural ability. He's fantastic on the turn. He can dribble past people, but his finishing has to improve. And I think that you know, I don't think anyone's coming out of this season going, "Oh, Martinelli's you know some waste of space." Everyone's behind him. But next year, I'll be judging him by a different barometer. Make no bones about it. So give him the number eleven. But I'll be judging you like a number eleven. And Quite frankly, you know, obviously Robin wore it in the past. We've had some top players over Mars. We've, we've had some top players who've worn it, who stuck, stood up and were talisman for the club. And Martinelli has to marry his ability with end product. And I fear that what we don't need is a, another guy who can, you know, is just... He, he's just all sherbet and no, you know, no trousers. And that's a phrase that I've probably made up on the spot, but I think it fits perfectly. I, and everyone don't, knows I it. don't even get it, but I like yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about anyway. <laughs> everyone will be walking around. Oh, you're all sherbet, no trousers. But still the fact is, is it, it is all sauce. It's lovely feet. But when we need you in crunch moments, are you going to be there? And I, interestingly, because of the way it's played out with our squad selection, often, Emil Smith-Rowe and Martinelli get grouped together because it seems to be a one or the other scenario. And the one thing you'd say about Emil Smith-Rowe, as opposed to Martinelli, is Emil Smith-Rowe has provided more, you know, uh, game-defining moments. He scores more goals, more assists. 
back in you know on mass um and you know in essence i think that they are you know yin and yang because smith rowe will often get completely lost in games when he's not on it he's just it's like he's not even playing but he may step up and get a big moment whereas martinelli can dominate a game terrorize his fullback and yet you look at it at the end of the game you look in the in the columns that matter and it's 0-0 zero, zero. no goals no assists for far too many games this season um, and I I think he, one of the things that gives us all posit- positive vibes at Arsenal is that we are all assuming that these promising youngsters make the kinds of leap forward next year that they made this year. And if they do, we'll be in great shape. But if one of them stagnates or, dare I say it, regresses, we're going to be in problems because at the end of the day, some of these, they're, they're not like firing at, a, they're firing at a level that nearly got us to top four. We don't ju- just want to be top four, you know, scraping by. We want to look like we are making strides forward towards, you know, challenging for the league in a few years. Just getting over the line's not enough. And I don't want that attitude and that atmosphere to be fostered at Arsenal anymore. So Martinelli, Martinelli does everything that Pepe doesn't. He ignites the fans. He, he shows through his passion and his hard work that he is engaged. And that gets fans inside. But I tell you what, you're going to have to give us more bottom line. Um, because at the end of the day, hard work and aggression, that doesn't just affect the league table. We need goals, assists, game-altering moments of play. And that is what I'll be judging him on. So give him the number 11, but I'll be judging you like a number 11. Oh, final point. Yeah. Just one little quick thing. The fact that, on a positive note, let's end positively with Martinelli. I actually like the fact that he took the penalty. Because for me, that shows that he's trying to engage in that issue and he is trying to address it. And sometimes you need to be selfish and sometimes you need to show a clinical edge and saying, listen, I want penalties now because I want to score goals. I 100% feel that, you know, people who are trying to score goals, sometimes they knock a penalty in in the game and suddenly they get another goal afterwards because they've got the taste for it. So at least it was a positive step forward in taking the penalty. Taking responsibility is the key. And we're going to need him to do that moving forward. I think you'd also say he could easily have scored another five or six goals not by doing anything different. The amount of times I feel like he hit the post, the keeper pulled off a worldie when like it, it seemed harder to to not to not do it. So yeah, I think he's he's not not he's not a problem. I, I also think that we this is like part of the progress that's happened under Arsenal is. We're all talking like these players are seasoned veterans, and that um, you know missing out on by one point at their age is 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 a big failure, which is a positive because it means we've got expectations back. So the idea that Arteta doesn't have standards or you know we're going to try and slip under the radar is wrong. But let's just put some perspective on it. Robin van Persie joined Arsenal at 21 years old. Uh, Martinelli is 20 years old right now. Uh, Robin Van Persie didn't score more than 10 goals in the Premier League until his third season when he got 11. And then the season after, he dropped down to seven. The season after, 11. Robin Van Persie only had uh, scored more than 15 Premier League goals for Arsenal twice. Um, the, The final season when he scored 30. So I think sometimes we forget the young players under Arsene Wenger weren't banging them in right from the start. And if Martinelli is scoring more goals than Patson Dakar in his first full Premier League season when he's been... Uh, Since when did Patson Dakar become the benchmark? <laughs> Since 20 minutes ago. Johnny's part of the Patson Dakar Ultra Club, right? 
Did I get that wrong? Did I get that wrong? I'm just joking. I'm just joking. But the the reality is, um, Robin Van Persie was a number 11 for us, and he only scored more than 15 Premier League goals twice, and they were after he was 25 years old. So Can I, I, can I just respond to that, Pete, though? Yeah. But, you know, and then you come back as well. Like, because the, fa- the fact is, is, and I agree with what you're saying about, you know, RVP took a while to get going with us. But the issue is that the way this squad is set up, and and obviously we were more successful in those days, but we were a t- team built around experienced professionals in those days. So we weren't asking Robin Van Persie to come in and score 20 goals a year. We are built where they're, rightly or wrongly, there is a lot of responsibility on the shoulders of 20 and 21-year-olds. And it's not enough to just keep going, oh, they're young. This is the way the squad's set up. And this is the way we either... Judge Arteta and the powers that be in the fact that it's, you know, two and a half seasons now and we've still not got top four and we've had one of our worst seasons ever. Or, you know, and we judge it the fact that we've not we've not got over the line still. We've not won any more trophies apart from his initial FA Cup. And yes, we've gone forward in the last season, but that was after going way further back the season before. So if we afford him the luxury of saying, yeah, but now he's got a young squad and they're growing, well... At the end of the day, we've got to pick a lane here. Because if we're saying that he's chosen young players and they might need a bit longer, that's okay. But they're not getting five years. We're not just going to sit here on our hands for five years for these guys to get good. We are are one year into a new strategy. Like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Whatever happened before, we had all of the dodgy signings from Don Raul. Uh, I see people blaming Arteta for Cedric. Like, let's be honest, uh, paying £5 million for a player with six months left on their deal is a very Don Raul... Uh, deal. We are uh, we are year one into a new project where we age the squad down to 23 years old and they finish one point off top four. That's massive, massive progress. And we are put in, and the young player choice is our choice. And the reason that we've made that choice is because signing older players that look like Champions League, look like they have Champions League ability, isn't sustainable. So, well, it, you know, but next season, if you said, uh, if, if Arsenal finished one point of top four without a, a like a bully boy striker that could score 15 goals, it's not a massive leap to suggest that putting a proper striker in a system like Tammy Abraham's does push us over the line. So I don't I, like Martinelli, Martinelli scoring goals, being an important player this season. Um, I, I, I think it's part of the process, but I don't think we can say, well, we chose young players. We chose young players because it is the only way forward. It's the only way we get back into the top four. Spurs are going to learn this when they have to shed Harry Kane and Son uh, at some point. Spurs are going to have a difficult rebuild at some point. They've just delayed it. Champions League is going to be really tough for them. They don't have money and they don't have the luxury um, that they had of you know playing in a, a European competition where you, you can rest players. So I, I think that the direction that we're taking is right, but I think we shouldn't put... Um, we shouldn't put like 27-year-old expectations on 20-year-olds and say next season, if it doesn't happen, like I, I think we've seen enough this season to say they are going to keep on progressing. Well, I, I, I somewhat agree with that. And, but I mean, we've, we've all afforded them the privilege of being young and some have, ste- some have stepped up to the plate in, to different extents. You know, um, some people, some players have really kind of thrived in that and others have, have done well, but not necessarily to the same extent. But what I'm saying is at some point, when you choose young players, you're going to have to judge them by older player standards because whoever's playing on the field, you don't get to run it through some 
you know, coefficient at the end of it and go, yeah, our score versus your score, but run it through the age of the squads. At the end of the day, whoever's playing is playing. So we will be judging them very soon by any age perspectives. And that is why Martinelli's had some time and, and I hope that he continues to flourish and makes a big step forward next year. I'm not saying he won't, by the way. I'm just saying that he's he needs to. And I think his finishing needs to improve. When Matt was saying, oh, it's close to being you know, more goals. I agree, but it wasn't. And the fact is, is there's loads of players out there who were very close to scoring 20 a year, but they ended up with none and they're not even playing in a league. And that's the difference. (laughs) We're in elite elite sport, fine margins, and you have to show whether you are going to be the guy or a guy. It's that simple. And the, I, I would much prefer a striker like Martinelli that's getting in the positions to miss. Adebayor, got massive criticism when he first joined Arsenal because he'd get in great positions and he'd miss five, six a game. But that eventually turned into goals and then he was one of the most unplayable strikers in the in the Premier League for two seasons, uh, under Arsenal at least. And I, I think that Martinelli feels like that sort of player. It's almost a bit Freddie Lundberg-ish when he first joined Arsenal. Could not hit the target for love nor money and then all of a sudden something clicked and it was every chance felt like a goal. Maybe Robert Perez was a little bit like that in his first season at Arsenal. I think he's going to... He's going to get there. And I also think it makes you rethink some of our perceptions around Eddie because Eddie's so young, but the one thing he's got is end product. He's got so much end product. The guy just always seems to be in the right place and, 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 and scoring goals. So you have to do it both ways. If, 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 it, if it's very rare for young players to have significant end products and then you find yourself with a young player who has a lot of end product, yeah. maybe it's worth looking twice, even if other areas of their game can look a little bit average. So why don't we uh, why don't we move on to the hot topic that everybody is tuned on here, waiting for? The William Saliba news frenzy. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the leader of the Saliba Ultras, the founding member, the man who sends out the T-shirts to all new applicants, uh, Johnny Cochran, William Saliba. He pushed... He pushed Marseille into the Champions League this season, got his team to a semi-final in a European competition, played over four and a half thousand minutes. Uh, And today there was an early rumour that he wanted to stay at Marseille. The the Saliba Ultras lost their mind. Clearly, none of them are French or... uh, (laughs) because they would, have, they would have known that it was incorrect. It turns out that he didn't answer uh, any questions about his future, despite being pushed on it. Um, but let's talk about William Saliba and how we... Like, let's game it out. What is happening? What is William Saliba thinking when he's looking at this Arsenal defence heading into next season? Johnny, I'm going to go to you first, because I know that this is uh, something that you hold close to your heart. So first of all, and I'm doing this for all the ultras, OK? Because... It's it's one of the it's one of the schisms in the fan community, and I, I think it's it's a it's a um, somewhat. I'm trying to look at it as a, a positive problem to have, and that is that I think most of the fans that are like minded with myself, we look at it as saying this guy is a special talent. Okay, he's a special talent, and so many arguments were put to us throughout the year of how do you know that he's not done anything yet? He needs more experience. All of this, and you go, you know what? Some of it is based on his achievements so far, like, you know, picking up a player of the season, getting, you know, recognised at international level and whatnot. Some of those being more recent. But others, 
it, it, it comes down to the eyes test. That's how I view football. Half of it, well, I, I won't even tell you my percentages, actually. I'd have to think more carefully on that. But some of it is down to stats, stats because at the end of the day, the bottom line is what football's about. You know, in this in this realm, you can live on live like championship manager. The numbers are what pays the bills. Where did you finish? How many goals did you score? How many wins did you get? Blah, blah, blah. Some of it, and perhaps the more romantic side of football, is about what you actually see. And sometimes you see a guy and you go, you know what? This guy's an absolute Rolls Royce. He looks the part. He looks he looks different to everyone else. When he plays, uh, you know, I haven't seen a guy like this for Arsenal in a long time. So I, I, I sat there and put my neck out and said, he's a big time player. Obviously, he's now gone on to be a recognised French international. So he's not just some random dude. One player of the year in League 1. He's been playing. Oh, yeah. League 1's just some shit league. Oh, is it? Plays against Messi. Plays against Mbappe. They're all right, you know. They are all right. As he doing? Handles himself. Ready for the top level. Looking like a different breed. When you are talking about a player who could be a generational talent, you don't treat them like someone who's cleaning out the toilets, which was always my point at the, at the, at the start. People are like, oh, yeah, they've given him an opportunity on loan to prove himself. What are you talking about, guys? At the end of the day, he came back after last year and he was disrespected. And people again, why is he disrespected? He was disrespected. He was given a squad number. A couple of weeks later, they pull his squad number, give it to Ben White, who's had more than enough issues in the running of that season, more than enough, signed for £50 million. Pound. Oh, yeah, your mum and dad, probably, well, you know, obviously an unfortunate situation. You know, his family probably got Saliba 4 on the back of it, of their Arsenal kits. He's having to go home going, take the, chuck, the, chuck the shirts in the bin, guys. I've not got a squad number anymore. It's a disrespect. And he went into that season with Marseille and thought, you know what, I'm going to teach people lessons. And he laid the smack down. So what are we talking about here? He now looks like if someone was to make an argument that he's our best defender on the club's books, I think oh. everyone has to. I think everyone has to take that argument seriously, whether you agree or not. I, I don't think this notion when we were doing well and the the defence was looking really sound that went away by the end. I'm not saying that our defence is a mess. It's not. We, you know, we've got plenty to feel encouraged by. But Saliba has got every opportunity, every chance, if he does come back, of being our, our talisman by next year. He could be our starting centre-half and our best defender. And I think that has to be, even the people who just obsess about Arteta's judgment and want to, because this becomes a call, cool, this is a real debate over Arteta's judgment when it comes to players. And they see Saliba, like what gets me is the way that people try to denigrate Saliba and be like, it says more about his lack of ambition at 20. I mean, what a ridiculous argument that is. He's 20 years old. He he should be taking his steer from the way the club treat him. And they should be treating him with a lot more respect. Right now, if he comes back to the club with what he's done this season, I think that he'll be having conversations to the tune of, I am not that dude to be taken the piss out of. I'm coming in. I'm not going to demand that I start every week. I don't think anyone should do that. But if you're not considering me for first-team football next year, I'm leaving. And guess what? You're going to have a lot of takers. And the simple fact is, is I hope, I really, really believe that Saliba could end up being the player that propels us to the next level. I think that he is a guy, when you when we talk about uh, uh, situations that stem off of having Granite Xhaka at the centre of our, mid, our midfield, and we've said in the past that, 
He may be able to get us to top four, but he'll never be able to. You'll never be able to win a league with him at the uh, centre hub of our midfield. You just wouldn't be able to. Over the course of the season, it would even out. I think that Saliba could quickly prove himself as being a guy that you can win a league with at the centre of your defence. And that is why it's so important. That's why people like me get so hit up over him. Treat him with the damn respect that he deserves. And I hope that the bridges haven't been burned because if he comes in and plays for us next year, I think he will be a fucking revelation and something that I tell you what, I've got I've got I've got bars for a lot of people who've been chatting shit this year about Saliba. If he comes back and smacks it next year, there's gonna be people getting roasted. One of them is smiling at me right now on the camera. So <laughs> Man, that was a that I mean that that could have been the hottest to take. That's the spiciest take of all season. Um, Matt Candela, uh, it's been a hugely successful loan period, probably the most successful loan period any Arsenal players ever had at any club. Um, if you are William Saliba, what are you thinking when uh, Edu is walking in with a crisp white shirt, a fresh contract? Uh, and the promise of first team action next season. What what's your take? Is he gonna is he gonna do a, a Emmy Martinez and run away if he doesn't get promised guaranteed first team football? Or is he gonna think I could have a bit of this this season? What do you think? I think we honestly don't know, and I know that that everyone wants to. We all want to pretend we know, and 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 but but we just don't. And this is where not getting Champions League does really hurt us. Because the narrative has always been, why the hell would you want to stay at Marseille when you could be playing at Arsenal? Arsenal, much bigger club, all of that stuff. But when he can, when someone else can tell him the story, oh, well, you can enjoy Champions League nights, you can play against all the best teams and all of that stuff, it does muddy the water. Um, I don't know whether... We don't know enough about his mindset. Um, we don't know whether he is hugely ambitious or whether the most important, or whether he's being advised that the most important thing for him is to keep playing games. You know, look at the graveyard of young players' careers who have gone to play at big clubs. Look at Martin Odegaard. He went to Real Madrid, didn't play, ended up having, to, ended up getting a move to Arsenal a few years later after loans at Sociedad and this and that. You know, there is a, there is certainly a case to say the most important thing for a young player's development is to be playing week in, week out. And my concern is that Arteta, he's just not going to promise him anything. <laughs> I just can't see Mikel Arteta going. I can see him going, you can slug it out, you can fight for it, you can do this. But there's a piece of me that uh, that thinks there's, that, that has a sense that there's an issue between Arteta and Saliba. Arteta seems to think he has a deficiency in his game a year ago that would have failed to have that put him behind people like Ben White and Gabriel. I think I've read it, it was his ability in the air was one of them, like like ability to deal with like lots of crosses. I don't know whether that was that was true or not. So I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. I am a huge fan from what I've seen. He looks like the real deal. He looks like the full package. I think he would have he could have got us top four this season if he'd been around. But at the end of the day he had a great loan and that's 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 sort of the most important thing so again everything now has changed we're looking at everything through the lens of reduced transfer budget so we have to bring him back we have to find a way um or or we have to find a way to sell him for 70 80 million that can give us more money to invest in other areas of the team 
that's football. You know, Philip Coutinho was a great player at Liverpool and they sold him and it bought Alisson and Van Dyke. You know, you've got to get he good got at to selling. Play, Matt. He got to play. He got we got they, they got to see what he was producing. This guy's never played for us. It's a travesty. I know, but it's it's just I don't want to be so knee jerk about it because I'm just like if we can make a significant amount of profit on a player that Mikel Arteta doesn't fancy and thinks that we can, that could be the difference between signing a Nabry quality player on the wing who can add goals to our game. That it's it's not beyond the realms of possibilities. So I don't know. Everything's. I think it's just been such a well. It's, we've just talked about it for a year, and we haven't really got any new data points to help inform the conversation, other well, than he had a really really good loan, um, and so. I'd like to see him come back because I still think that this. I don't think the white the white Gabriel centre half partnership is a championship winning partnership. I think so, it could be so- they could they could be two centre halves that play in a championship winning team if they improve, but I don't think those two are going to ever be Adams and Campbell, you know Terry and Carvalho, Vidic and whoever it was. You know I don't think that there seems to be a bit of fragility there, so. You know that there's another case for Saliba, but so the yeah. I, I I I was told the to expect Saliba in the Arsenal squad uh, next season. I would imagine that part of that is predicated in on him signing a new deal. But if Saliba is uh, has has the right attitude, I'd imagine that he's looking at our defense right now and thinking, "I'm definitely going to get game time there." We've got Europe um, next year, so the the love will certainly be spread throughout the season. Uh, and people also um, uh, forget and don't talk about uh, Ars- Arsenal tried to sign Umtiti in the January transfer window. I think Barcelona are desperately looking to get him off the books. So I wouldn't be surprised if our centre-back grouping next year is uh, Umtiti, Saliba, Ben White and Gabriel. And you've got a nice blend of um, of experience in there. You've got uh, four centre-backs then that can all play with the ball at their feet. And I think that that's the sort of grouping that you want to be able to, to to rotate in and out. Your game doesn't change. And I actually think, Matt, you're you're landing on the key point here. Arsenal have to reduce the amount of transfer spend this summer. That's why, you know, it, Arteta should really consider Ainsley next season. Ainsley's had another bad loan. He's uh, the second best right back at our club. He'll definitely He's get- run out of time though, hasn't he? Well, but no, but I'm just saying, if you want to, like, why, why, why we, do we want to go and spend 25 million on another well, fullback? Well, well, yeah. I mean, the other piece of it, I was thinking today because I was looking at Nuno Tavares, who I thought was really, really quite good today, and I was thinking, this guy's not a fullback; he's a wingback. You can't put this guy on a, on on a back four. But obviously, if you're playing him as a wingback, then you need more centre halves because uh, yeah. you need because because someone's always injured. So. Um, I like the idea of having more centre-halves because I think it would give us more flexibility and I like the idea of mixing it up a bit. I like the idea of playing back three sometimes, back four sometimes, uh, preparing in different ways for different games and I think we've got some different personnel. So, yeah, I mean... I, I think I think there's, there's, the Saliba loan was successful. He'll come back the most experienced uh, 21-year-old centre-back in the whole of Europe. And then he's got to own the position. He's got to take advantage of uh, of being at a big club in London. He's got to dominate that position because I, I think that he could unseat um, uh, unseat the structure at Arsenal. And I also think that the, the added benefit of having Saliba in the mixer is 
Ben White and Gabriel don't have competition for their place. And we've seen what happens when young players don't have competition. I think Gabriel took his foot off the gas in the second half of the season. The international break absolutely wrecked um, Ben White. Um, you know, maybe he believed the hype a little bit too much because he didn't come back after that break, uh, the same player. I know that he had a little injury here and there. But I think it's. Uh, I think it's, if Arsenal can secure William Saliba um, to another year, I think that our defence is looking mean next season. I mean, the, the bigger problem for me is, is is the fullback situation, but the loan has been successful. Uh, I, I also question whether if we had kept Saliba at the club all season and he'd only played 15 games, whether that would have compelled him to sign a new deal versus going away, having a barnstorming season, then coming back with prestige. Give me the yeah, new deal. I think like, there's a great I, point from RTE Limited, which we haven't taken into consideration, which says... Why come back if you're on the cusp of making the France World Cup squad? The World Cup's in, what, November mm, this yeah. year? And he, at the moment, is going on, getting on that plane. Of course he is. If he only plays half the games at Arsenal, he's not on that plane. At the moment, he is on the periphery of that squad, but is doing enough week in, week out to get it. So he will be thinking about that because, you know, football's a short career and World Cups come around every four years. And, you know, it's a, it's, it's a massive, massive thing for players. It's why I actually expect a lot of our young players to have great starts to the season yeah. because they're on the cusp of it. But um, he's, he's going to need to be playing, to be, have some guarantee of playing. Matt, I think um, that the, point, the point that just flashed up from your man, uh, Mirage, is... Correct. Like, there's been a lot of speculation about Gabriel exiting the club this summer with Juventus sniffing around. Um, what, what do you think about that? Like, is there a possibility that Arteta is looking at the centre back pairing and saying, "This hasn't been good, and we might make a change. We might make well, like, a drastic change." Well, for, for, me, with, for me, yeah. for me, my 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 thing is this, right? First of all, a lot of the Arsenal fans who I think are, are really cutting the wrong tone on the whole Saliba thing. A lot of the people who blame Saliba for the situation, which I find wholly bizarre in all honesty. But still, the one thing that there is uh, credibility from their point of view is, is that we do still have two years left on his contract. Now, Arsenal have been used to selling promising players for next to no money, not re- not recuperating any anywhere near the transfer fee we should. However... This is a player that I think we should be doubling down on. If we're honest, if I ask both of you, do you think that we could sign a better player this summer in his position than William Saliba? I would tell you, I don't think we can. I think it's impossible. I don't think there is a better player who's already proven, or I believe now, right now, that William Saliba is the most promising young centre-back in Europe. That's That's his level. That's how I see him. I think all of the big clubs have their eyes on him. And I don't think that we have anywhere near the cachet as a club to be able to attract a player of that profile right now. The only reason why we can get Saliba at the club is because we own him. So we have to we have to be strong and we have to say, bring him back. But I think this moves into a more interesting point around Arteta. And it has to be around whether Arteta has learned to be able to change his approach, to soften his approach in some respects. This doesn't mean that you necessarily have to do away with your non-negotiables and stuff. But I'm getting a little bit sick of this just obscene, like, universal acceptance that if any player leaves the club, it's because they've got a bad attitude. 
No, guess what? Yeah, Johnny, players... no, one's say, no one's saying William Saliba is on loan because he had a bad attitude. That's not that's not the conversation. That's not, that's not true. That's not true. Some there has been a bit of that. There has some been a people bit of are, that. Pete. Some people are saying that. And some people are saying, oh, it's actually his fault. And the people who yeah, try to blame Arteta who, and they're who saying... At the club? Who at the club is saying that? Like, speculation is not, is not no, the club. I'm, I'm he's, not he's, out that... he's developing. He's developing. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying... I'm talking about how the fans perceive the job that Arteta is doing and, the, and, and that the club are doing. And I'm saying that sometimes... For instance, the Aubameyang thing, I think largely people supported Arteta because they just thought whatever the cause, it just was not working. But you look at Guendouzi, who I think largely people have gone, you know what, he's a bit of a bad egg. Even though quality-wise, he definitely would have been an improvement on what we had towards the end of the year. Without a shadow of a doubt. But after a while, it's like, listen, you have to get the best out of the players that you have available. And you got Ainsley Maitland-Niles. Oh, yeah, there might have been a character thing. Listen, at some point, these are the guys. Get the best out of them. And with a player that is as talented as Saliba, unless he comes out and says, I want to leave... Make it work. Make it work because he's better than what else we have. And I think he is the greatest opportunity that we have like in terms of a, a quick fix under our roof to make us make, make huge strides next season because I think our, our defence could look not only solid but look very, very sexy in terms of being able to have ball play in centre-halves so you can play out and, and link that play. Well... This is going to be an interesting summer because if you uh, if if he does bring William Saliba back into the mixer, we've got a really competitive defence. Um, I, I think Matt's probably right. Ainsley will probably go, but the reality for Ainsley now is he's had two bad loan spells now, and you know he he was he was reamed out in the um, in the Italian media for not being at the level, but he could still if he could work something out with Arteta, be a really good backup right back. Um, we've got a new goalkeeper coming into the defence as well. Uh, hopefully can put pressure on Aaron Ramsdale, who's been really, really poor in the second half of the season. Um, and then if you if you bring all of those cogs back into the mix, you actually have quite a lot of interchangeable pieces because Saliba can play at right back. Ben White can play um, at full back. You've got Tommy Asu that can play um, at left back and right back. And if they sign this... Um, this Scottish kid from Bologna, you, he can play on on both sides as well. So you start to build a lot of Swiss Army Knife players into our defence. But overall, it's a positive that uh, William Saliba had a good loan spell. That's what they're there for. So let's just hope that Edu can do the deal and get him to sign a new contract. Uh, right, we are we are an, uh, we are a little bit uh, over on the thing, but we'll keep uh, this. I thought this tweet was pretty funny. Uh, people that killed our club, La Grove <laughs> especially. It's a, it's amazing that I actually didn't say that Champions League was the target all season, that I said Europe was the target all season, that I plotted most of what has happened through the season, that there would be lots of ups and downs and there would be some pain. And experience is important. It all kind of came true. I don't understand how that I was falsely positive. I was actually pretty... Uh, pretty. You're a genius. Pretty, neg- pretty negative. But I, I killed the club. And I apologise if you feel that I killed the club. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, Premier League table. I mean, we don't need to uh, keep on looking um, over the Premier League table, but um, that's where we landed. 69 points, two points off Spurs, uh, five points off of European champions Chelsea. It's pretty clear what we need to do. Uh, the, there, there are two elements that we need to address, really. Um, gutted we United, by the way. Yeah. Gutted United. 
11, 11 points better than Man United and all of their elite yeah. signings in the summer is quite delicious. Um, but there are two that it's not just the attack that's the problem. Um, our defense was the third best in the Premier League with Rob Holden and David Luiz last season. This season, we conceded 48 goals, which is absolutely atrocious. I don't think we've kept a clean sheet in the last 10 games. So there's a job to be done there because we added 100 million pounds worth of defenders and, um, we didn't move forward in the defensive aspect. I think we conceded 39 last season, which still wasn't great. Um, but there's some there's some work to be done there. Um, yeah, we can move on to that. Uh, today, absolutely dominant. One of the key uh, statistical features of this season is that our shots per game and our shots on target per game are in the top four. So if you add a proper striker into the mix, hopefully we'll start scoring more goals next season. Um, wanted to talk about the kit. What do we think about the new kit, everybody? I don't really like it myself, you know. I know loads of people love it, and fair play if you do, but, you know, I mean, this is obviously a stylistic choice. I, I, don't, I don't really vibe with it. I don't like the collar. It doesn't it doesn't work for me. Do you guys, do you like it? I'm amazed they get away with ripping off all these 90s Nike shirts, and no one at Nike seems to <laughs> be bothered here. about it. Same here. But, it's, uh, but I, I guess maybe there's something in the contract that's signed that says once once it gets made, you own it, or once you paid for it, you own it. And the IP is all there. Um, so, and it becomes part of the, the equity that exists within Arsenal kit history. So, I mean, we, we, we've been on a, a bit of a rip for kit releases where we're like, oh, wow, I just need to get my hands on that. That looks the nuts. This one, I'm, I, I'm, I'm giving a wide berth. I won't be purchasing that, not a chance. They, um, uh, Adi- uh, Adidas, <laughs> Adidas, uh, Adidas say that um, when you when you make a thicker material shirt, it feels like value to fans, and this looks like one of the materials that's going to be quite heavy. So I'm I'm looking forward to to feeling it to, to feeling it out. And um, this this one I didn't really like until I saw all the players wearing it, and then I actually think it it's looked quite great. Look really Matt really Martinelli good. Looked, Martinelli looked good in it, didn't it? There's always um always one player who becomes synonymous with a shirt. You know, Burkamp in that yellow shirt in '98. You know. PV Freddie in the gold. That. Exactly. Will Tord in the gold as well. So um, uh, it'll be interesting. I mean, it's difficult at the moment to see anyone becoming more synonymous with any Arsenal shirt than Saka. He's our, he's our, he's our talisman. He's our main man. So good to see him in this picture. All right. Well, we're, we are heading out of the, uh, the football world bit. We've got two, two pieces of news that we want to bring to the people that have been listening to the show. Firstly, we want to say uh, thank you to everybody that's been listening to the podcast all year. Uh, we'd, uh, we'd never met until uh, till February, the Wolves game, and we got to see uh, Arsenal deliver a last gasp win. So it was spectacular. So thank you to all the people that listen to the podcast. Thank you for all of you that watch the videos and share the comments. It's amazing how pleasant the YouTube live experience is, and that says a lot about the intelligence of the people that that just populate the comments feed. It's always a joy to, to, to read all of the, the, the niceness that comes with it. Even the YouTube videos don't get many down marks, which um, I didn't expect because the comment section on the Grove is certainly not as pleasant all the time. Uh, so thank you to everybody that's, um, that's listened here. Um, uh, Johnny, do you want to talk about uh, the, the, next bit of, uh, the next bit of news? Because we are, we are moving to the next level, as it were. Um, we are we are moving to the next level, and um, you know we've talked about it on previous pods, but we are going to be hitting up the Patreon vibe. A lot of our listeners, hopefully, will be aware of that. 
um, you know, of what Patreon means and how they might be able to get involved. Basically, over the summer, a lot of people have been getting in touch and saying, oh, are we going to keep the pod going? Absolutely, we are. Not only will we have plenty of stuff to talk about, hilarious transfer rumours. Is Messi coming to Arsenal? We don't know. We, uh, there's been a picture of a guy who looks like Messi walking around the Emirates. but We're, we're tracking a plane from Paris at the moment, but we're not <laughs> sure whether it's Saliba <laughs> or Messi. We're getting reports Saliba's in the boat. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, we've got all of that that we're going to be able to get through the summer with when there's no football. But we'd first, you know, to echo what Pete says, we'd love to, you know, we, we, we all want to thank you for supporting us. It's been fantastic what you guys have done because otherwise we're just three guys you know talking over skype but you guys who who listen to this and watch this you make it something better than that and it's because of you guys you make it a community but if because of that and you you know the fact that you are enjoying what we're doing and you want to support us if you can join the patreon um it will be a small fee a monthly subscription but it will go to supporting us to be able to keep providing podcasts like this that you're going to be able to enjoy at your own leisure. And also, certainly over the summer, we're going to try a few formats where we get you guys involved a bit more. Some chat shows where we can bounce some ideas off off of you guys in the comments. Um, And also, I think that once we pick the next season up, they'll not only be on the whistles, which have become quite synonymous with this podcast now, and you guys certainly seem to be enjoying them half as much as we do enjoy making them, but also some extra podcasts where we can continue to get you guys involved so you can help to shape the narrative that this podcast puts out. So, yeah, if you can support us, we would be truly grateful. You know, and if you just want to keep supporting us by listening and sharing our content, then we appreciate that as well. Thanks. Yeah, so it's uh, we're going to professionalise uh, next season. Um, I'm going to try some uh, stand-up comedy. Uh, I'm going to do some <laughs> lessons on how I cut my own hair. It's uh, it's going to be it's going to be an amazing time. So stay tuned for the Patreon. We are going to keep going all summer. Uh, we're going to bring start bringing some people from uh, around the YouTuber sphere as well to talk to us. We've got some interesting journalists that might want to come on and chat about our transfer business. And it is the 15th anniversary of Le Grove this September, and we are considering doing some sort of event or gathering potentially in London or maybe even in America. Uh, so if you're listening, uh, Matt, Matt Candela, do you want to say anything before we go? No, just it's just been... Um, <laughs> no. I know we're all uh, a bit disheartened. We're all a bit disheartened by the end of the season. We all had high hopes we could get fourth. Um, but one of the real joys uh, of following a team is actually the people you meet uh, and the bonds that you build over it. And in time, that becomes even more important because you might not remember... Uh, some of the results of some of the games, but you sure as hell remember the people you met along the way. We've all met. We've all had a great season, getting to know each other, bringing content, getting to know the people in the comments. You guys have become an extension of the pod. Uh, We couldn't do it without you, and we're excited to continue on this journey with you. So it's been been a journey, and I, I do feel we're on the right path, both in terms of the podcast and Arsenal in general. And um, and we're excited to continue talking all summer. I know what it's like when there's no football. We can all be a bit at a bit of a loose end. But uh, if there's no news, we'll be making up news. Uh, <laughs> and, 
And uh, yeah, and, yeah Messi it's, is outside it's, the it's Emirates, been... Matt. I'm getting that text now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I just 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 to quickly say because I did do that whole patter around the Patreon and didn't actually give some fundamentals about it. We will be launching the Patreon this week and either via the social medias. If you don't already follow La Grove, I mean, I don't know what you're doing. Um, I'm at I Johnny Cochran and at Matt Candela. You can will be it'll be over our socials, details around it. Um, and if not, we'll be doing a podcast this week and we'll give you more details around how you can sign up to that Patreon, get yourself part of that exclusive content and, you know, in general, support us. Um, but like, you know, just to jump finally off that point, Matt said, you know, football is a journey. I'm going into my poetry, poetic mind here. Football is a journey, but it's not always about where you end up. It's about how it makes you feel. And overall, I think we've had some really good feelings. So let's hope that next season we end up in the right place and we feel even better. Oh, I'm doing an emotion over here. What is that feeling deep within? All right. Well, um, uh, I will get my shirt button done up, exposing myself on this video. So if you are listening to the podcast, remember to go onto iTunes or Spotify and give us a five-star review. Uh, Maybe give us a little bit of an end-of-season review. Uh, Get it spicy. Be creative. Um, stay tuned next week because we're going to reveal a little bit about um, our Patreon. A massive thank you to everybody that has been listening. And if you are watching, remember, click that subscribe button so that you get all of those last minute videos that we pull together. And on that note, thank you for listening. We really appreciate you and we will be back very soon. Ciao for now. Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.